Welcome to Red Alert. This is the Detroit Red Wings podcast on Between the Whistles Detroit. I'm with I'm Joe Chapman, obviously, and I'm with my co-host, Cindy Barry. Cindy Barry. Oh, yes. <laughs> Cindy, last time we talked, we did a season preview, and people loved that season preview, by the way. Yeah. They did. Um, And we're less than a week into the season, and we already have an injury of... Uh, it's a sizable injury, I would say. You know what I'm saying? It's not something small like uh, Zadina or anything. It's Bertuzzi, four to six weeks with the uh, upper body injury, but we all know that he probably broke his hand or something along that lines. He blocked the shot, and he got a right in the, where you really don't want to get hit at, and just bad luck for T- Tyler right there. Yeah, too bad for that. You know, Tyler's had these challenges with, staying healthy the last several seasons. And I think this is the last thing he wanted, you know, was to have to deal with this, but uh, yeah, this may be a great opportunity for the Red Wings. It almost forces them to look to their depth and develop that depth and prepare them for the playoffs. Should this something like this happen right prior to playoff time. So, yeah, I think it's a good preparation tool. Sad for Tyler. I think last thing he wanted was to be out a game this early or out this six weeks or whatever this early, but you know, maybe a good thing for the Red Wings in the end. Yeah. I think here's the thing, you know, it helps that the Detroit Red Wings for once have um, some pretty good depth on, on every line pretty much. I mean, like you have the possibility of moving Piranha up, Kubelik up, Kubelik was playing with the first line. So it's, it's not like they don't have players to, you know, bring up. Obviously if you take this team last year, if they took Bertuzzi getting injured four to six weeks, it would really be like a death nail because they were already missing Verona. Um, so this is kind of – with this team that they have right now, the depth is there so they can make these kind of changes, you know. And that's credit, again, to to the Iser plan and credit to what Steve Iserman wanted to uh, – the position he wanted to be in. He wanted to be much better prepared for should things like this happen – He's ready to go deep and be able to pull up some talent that can step in and deliver. And one thing's for sure is what's been talked about with this team is so far in three games, they've given us so much to look at. They've given so much to digest. I mean, this has been really damn entertaining for sure, but uh, really fired up hopes in the fan base as well as confidence, I think, on the roster that they're heading in the right direction. The Bertuzzi injury, I think, is a bit of a, um, a, a diversion. But you know what? It, like you said, it's not, it's not catastrophic because that gives us the opportunity, gives the club the opportunity to take a look at some of these other depth players and seeing what they can do. Kubelik's one of them. Looking, uh, he's coming here looking for something to really prove anyway, and now mm-hmm. he has the opportunity to do it. you got a couple of other guys that might find themselves coming up even from Grand Rapids sooner rather than later just to get a shot to kind of backfill some of these other vacancies in the roster. So it gives a lot of people opportunity, not only to – uh, opportunity for the players to get some ice time on NHL ice, but it gives the fan base the opportunity to take a look at these guys. It gives the staff the opportunity to assess them on a on a bigger stage. Well, they haven't called up anybody, so. But I, I think that's coming, though, Joe. My point is that that's going to be coming as we suffer <laughs> more injuries, and I'm not saying that to be negative. I'm just saying that that just things happen, and if the Wings are going to continue to play the very aggressive type of game that it looks like they're going to play, you're going to suffer some more injuries. I, well, injuries are part of the game, but losing a guy four to six weeks, that's a pretty big, tall task to lose. But here's the thing. The, you know, we talk about Bertuzzi, and the loss of Bertuzzi is pretty huge, but 10 different guys have scored on the Red Wings. 10 different guys. Um, so that's really good. Um, one of the things I look at, uh, Cindy, is when Steve Eiserman put together this roster this offseason, he signed a guy, David Perron, who has three goals, one assist, and four points. He's a guy that can move up in the top line if need be. Another guy who's who's been playing lights out in terms of his, you know, the way he's been playing defensively and offensively is Dylan Larkin. And we'll talk to, about him more in the next segment of the podcast where we kind of recap the week that was. But, like, you look at this team, they're more, you know, ready to take injuries than the teams in the past. Because if this happened a year ago, I guarantee you they would have lost the last two games. Oh, I think would I agree with you completely. In fact, some would argue that, you know, 
if it wasn't for Dylan Larkin's Herculean efforts, you know, that they would have lost the last game. Um, I think Chris well, Osgood well, was kind well, of that well, opinion. Well, they, did, they did lose the last game, but they got a point. That's that's a main thing. They they have not Well, lost. they would have lost in regulation was his point. Which, yeah, yeah. Well, you, yeah. Lose, you lose in regulation, that's, that's horrible. But, listen, they have gone three straight games where they've at least got a point. They got, you know, four points in their two wins, and then they got the point with the Kings, which that game was so weird, Cindy. It was, it was a really weird game. Yeah, they've had some – that's what I'm saying. Every one of these games that they've had has been so unique and entertaining in and out of themselves. It certainly surpassed the expectations that I think a lot of the fans had. I think they were looking forward to seeing this new team. You know, you had that new season, beginning of the season anticipation. But I don't think anybody expected to see what they've seen so far. Yeah, I think what they've seen so far, though, is like – here's the thing. Here's the thing with that, though. Like, I – when you look at this team and you look at the way they played, like, they've won games in in so many different ways or they've played in so many different games where it's kind of becoming it's, – it's a good thing because they played in a tough defensive game with Montreal. They played in a game more against uh, New Jersey where they kind of controlled play and they played really, really well. And then they played in that barn burner with the Kings where it was back and forth, back and forth. And they didn't come up on the good side of the win, but they showed a lot of promise and they showed that they're going to be in these games throughout the season as long as everyone stays healthy. And that's the key right there. And that's where I think the Bertuzzi injury might play a little bit on the psychology here is that, oh, geez, hopefully this isn't what we're going to be, you know, more of this to come. You know what I mean? We, we don't want to start off that way. And certainly Bert in the position he's in with his contract negotiations, you know, you don't want to go into contract negotiations saying, Oh yeah, you know, I'm the guy. And then you're like, yeah, but you can't stay healthy. Now maybe it's just his style of play or whatever. Uh, his style of play kind of lends to the potential for more injury, or maybe he's just unlucky, but um, feel bad for Bert going in there. But at the end of the day, you can't deny what we are seeing out of this team is a completely different team than we saw last year or certainly two, three years ago. Yeah, and and the one thing I look at, Cindy, and I, I know you were talking about this before the show, but, like, they have an identity outside of their first line. And we'll get into that in the next segment, but there's an identity outside the first line, which hasn't happened in years, where they've had a, 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 a line that wasn't their first line. That's actually like, it's actually a decent line, and it's actually one that you could you got to plan for if you're an opposing coach. Right, right, absolutely, and it'll be an interesting conversation because you know some people are going to recognize some of those uh, past lines that were, you know, examples of the of the uh, culture that they were building then at the time. And uh, they're all, you know, some of our good friends were playing on some of those lines, right? They're iconic, and they've become household names, right? So that's, I think, a very good sign. But as we move forward here in these, in this next set of games coming up, which, by the way, I have to tell you, I know you think it's a good break. I'm, I'm like jonesing for a hockey game, man. I'm like, this sucks. They tease us with the first three games, which is great. They get us all excited. And now I got to wait four days for another hockey game. I'm not coping well, Joe. I need co- I need some better coping mechanisms for this. Well, there's hockey on. Um, not the Red Wings, but you, you, I watched the Lightning lose the Flyers last night. That was interesting because um, the Flyers are not supposed to be a good team, and somehow they're playing pretty well. It's early in the season, but, you know, obviously uh, Tampa Bay has not played up to their level yet. Um, but I think it's a good break. I really do. I think – not, not only the case with Bertuzzi being out, but like Verona is on, you know, he has personal reasons why he's out. So I think this is a good break for the Detroit Red Wings. I think that like these little breaks could do a, a world of good, especially when you're talking about stamina. You're talking about, you know, there, because when you get late in the season, there's going to be a lot of back to back games, and those are hell hard. You know, you're, you go from game at home to a game away in the next night. Like that's a, that's a rough schedule. So these times where there's uh, not a game for three days or four days, take it while you can, because these 
uh, this NHL season is going to pre- it's going to move pretty quick when you get to November, December, and January. And I believe that this particular team is going to have a long season. See, you're going to hit on my next point, and uh, that's where we're going to start with our next segment, and that is that. So we're we're, we're talking about the Detroit Red Wings, and we're talking about um, how they have played up to this point. Cindy, when you look at this team, is this a sign of things to come, or is this a mirage? Oh, it's definitely a sign of things to come. And the reason I say that is because you've those of us who've been paying attention have seen this coming for a couple of years now. This isn't coming out of nowhere. Perhaps to the casual observer, they're just now saying, oh, you know, this could be not the real deal or, well, where did this come from? Well, for those of us who've been paying attention, we've seen this coming. This is the Iser plan revealing itself. You know, it's kind of like a tsunami, right? You had the earthquake under the water, you didn't see it, and now that tidal wave is starting to crash over you, and now you're wondering where the hell it came from. Um, but for those of us who've been kind of paying attention and tapped into the Iser plan, um, or what we could know of it anyway, you saw this developing over the last several draft classes, over the last several um, free agency periods, and you sure as hell saw this. You know, what Steve Iserman did in the offseason – he wasn't doing that just for giggles. You know what I'm saying? He did it with an agenda and he was ready to move on it. I don't think they're necessarily contending for a cup this year. I think they know that, but there's no doubt that they're looking to prepare this team to move deep into the season. Well, see, here's the thing about this, this, this team. Okay. I noticed something from Derek alone that I have not seen Jeff Blashell do. Um, And I, I noticed that he does this a lot. Uh, Derek Lalonde to do this. And this is something he probably got from John Cooper in Tampa Bay. But what he did in that game against the Kings was freaking great. He not he took uh he took Kubalik off the line of the first line. I forget who he he inserted into the first line, but he he jumbled the lines together and then they score. And then he does he he's he has a mixture of Sunquist and Larkin on the same line. At, at the end of the game, um, and that's where uh, Sunquist hit the over, you know, the game tying goal. I mean, like you look at this this guy, this uh, Derek Lone guy. He's really been a really big portion of this team so far. Not only with the way he's coached, but the way that he has this team prepared. Um, you see them playing a t- much tighter defensive game, and I think it's really shown with Dylan Larkin because he's a plus six right now, Cindy. He is a plus six. So that's very, very interesting if we're talking about, you know, Dylan Larkin and how he's played. I mean, if you wouldn't have thought that Dylan Larkin would have been a plus six at this point. Oh, for sure. And, but although when we talked about it in our, our pre-season uh, show or our season starting show, I, I think Dylan Larkin's going to lead the team in points. I know that uh, you, you're, or excuse me, in goals. I think you're going to, he's going to lead in points. There's definitely good. He's definitely going to be a leader on this team, but a hundred percent, a hundred percent your take on Lalonde. And one of the things I'm going to harken back to what I had said in one of our previous shows was don't be surprised if our VIP for the season is, is not Derek Lalonde because I think it will be because he's the game changer. Um, just in, in terms of how he approaches the game and in what he's willing to put forward and do and just the way he's got these guys organized, the type of game he wants them to play, um, that is going to make all the difference. I think what he's done is he has tailored that to the, to the, to the, the talent he has. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he could have gone one of a number of different ways, but the way he's chosen to go, shows how savvy he is about where his strengths are in his organization and also covering for where some of his, his short points are. And uh, he's got these guys on board. These guys were ready for a coach like Derek Lalonde. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think he's fantastic. The one thing I can say about the Red Wings right now is like their power play has to get better. I mean, they're, they're, they've, they're one for 11, but if you're going to say something negative about the Red Wings, you got to say something positive. And one of the positive things is, Cindy, last year at this time, the penalty kill was garbage. And, you know, everyone was rightfully so pissed off about it. They have not allowed a power play goal 
to this point. 100% on the power penalty kill. Like, that's that's that shows you more about coaching than, you know, we would have thought. Well, and, you know, and they brought on David Perron very much to assist with the not only the power play unit, but also the penalty kills. And well, they brought, um, they brought Cop, they Perron. Cop, Perron was more of the power play guy. Cop was the, yeah. the penalty kill guy. What I noticed about the penalty kill, um, Cindy, is um, they got Sunquist out there. They have Cop out there. They mix up the lines where there's there's you know Rasmussen's out there. They got some size out there on the penalty kill. Um, if you're talking about a good way to um, you know kind of be better on the penalty kill, you put size out there and you kind of you eliminate some areas where the you know the opposing team isn't going to be able to pass because. The guy has a long reach. He's not going to make that. He's not going to make that. If you make a pass quickly, that could be intercepted and they could just shoot it right down the ice. And they've been so effective. That's what I, exactly the point of Derek Lalonde using what he's got and being a good steward of those assets. That is key. And I don't think you had Jeff Blaschel doing that so much. No. You know what I mean? I don't think his approach was like that. Um, I think he was just trying to tread water and just trying to keep his head above water is really what I felt that he was doing. And maybe that's all he had the capability to do, given what he had to work with, granted. But I just think Derek Lalonde uh, is making far more out of what he's got than Jeff Blaschel did. Oh, for sure. I think what he's doing is he he's, he's kind of he, – he's – this is what I talked about when we talked about, you know, Jeff Blaschel last year. One of the things I was kind of mad about Jeff Blaschel was, you know, there was times where he should have jumbled up the lines and tried to get something going. And Lalone, he's he's kind of he's he's kind of the guy that's like John Cooper, where if things aren't going his way, he's gonna he's gonna mix some things up and hopefully something catches. I mean, obviously every time you do that, it's not going to work. But seven out of ten times you do that, it might end up in the back in the back of the net for you guys. Well, Daryl Cologne is willing to make changes and do he, – he recognizes when something is not working, and he's willing to make changes. And that's a mark of a great leader, too. You know, you've got to be willing to be adaptable. You have to be able to have the capability to be adaptable, and you have to recognize when you need to do that. So those are the things that Daryl Cologne does that I, I think has made him a very good fit for this team. And I really do believe that a lot of these guys – you know, one of the things they said to him was, you know, we're ready to work. And that was the thing is these guys were ready to work. It's not that they didn't have work ethic. And Dylan Larkin said that, you know, they have work ethic. They just needed better management. And yeah. Steve recognized that, made that change. And now we're seeing that come to fruition here with Derek Lalonde. And if there's one thing I can say about the Troy Rebbings, and that's in, in, in a negative kind of salutation or whatever, is right now their shots are, are 104 for the opponent. And 95 for them. They need to get better in that end, of, but they're not as far as they were last year. Obviously, last year. But you know, one of the things that that I look I look at is they've been outshot in the third period overall, 33 to 19. They need to be better on that portion. But it seems like they come out blazing, um, you know, shooting really good on the first period, and then you they taper off. That's something that I think Derek Lone's going to have to kind of make sure that continues throughout the game. Because you don't want to be outshot like they've been outshot so far. Because you know who has been really good is Billy Huso was really good last. You know the last game against Kings, there were some bounces that really just were total puck luck. And uh, Nadalkovic, that first that first game he played against the Devils, he looked freaking phenomenal. Oh yeah, and and that was something else that we recognized that I expected to see is I expected Billy Huso to really come in and show what he's got. And, you know, sometimes, you know, he's streaky or, or he, he tends to, you know, can't handle the clutch situations. Well, I don't see any evidence of that so far, so far, so good with Billy Huso in that regard. Yeah. I mean, Billy Huso's played pretty good. I mean, obviously you would love to see him, um, you know, obviously there's going to be games where he's going to give up five goals, but, um, He's faced 65 shots on a year. Uh, he saved 60 of them, so that shows that, you know, he's he's done a really good job. Save percentage is 923. He already has a shutout. Um, but I, I look at uh, Nadalkovich and Huso, 
And I look at, they both have um, quality starts. Both of them have one quality start. So they play three games and there's two piece. That's a pretty good sign for the, the Red Wings moving forward. And thank goodness for that, because I'll tell you, they know that that's one of the areas where they had a weakness that had to be addressed was their netminders. They didn't have anyone they could really rely on in net. And now they've got this tandem team, which, you know, I don't know. I might have to eat my words, Joe, but I mean, I was the person who said, I think they were ranked a little high. They ranked the 11th in the league. And I thought, uh, you know, I, I, I was just skeptical of that. That's all. It's not that I don't believe in these guys because I think they're both showing a strong start to the season and that's encouraging, but I wasn't quite sure that I would put them in that category just yet. So I'm hoping I have to eat my words. I'm hoping they continue to do as well as they have started out doing, uh, you know, Ned had me a little worried the other day, you know, but then he went and made these outstanding saves, but that's the kind of capability that Ned has. Yeah. So that's fantastic. What it would, I also like, and it's got me encouraged that even if these guys have an off night or aren't quite as solid as we're hoping that they'll be on a, on a given day that we have not only the defensive posture and the defensive structure, and you're talking about a tighter defense, not only do we have a, def- a tighter defensive structure being played by Derek Lalonde, but also you've got guys who are willing to step up and have the ability to step up and put in the extraordinary efforts like Dylan Larkin did to provide defense when necessary. And you know what? Here's the thing about that play. That play was total effort. It was total captain-like behavior. And it was probably a, a, a point that we will look at at the end of the season if Detroit makes the playoffs. And let's say they make the playoffs by one game, by one point, right? You're going to look back and say that was the reason why they got to that point. And I, the one thing I, I'm going to say about that, Cindy, I don't know if you agree with me right here, but when your captain and your team leader does something like that, where they lay out and they make a play to, you know, save a goal, or they do, you know, they make a play, you know, to, you know, save a shot that might have been wide open, like, uh, like he had there with the empty net. That's a that's a that's a pretty much a team changing play because the now. When you go into a game, you're expected to do the same thing that Dylan Larkin just did. Absolutely. Uh, and I've said it once. I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it again. The speed of the group is the speed of the leader. The leader will set the pace. And Dylan Larkin has done that. With that play, they're going to be talking about that for the rest of the season and probably into future seasons, talking about setting the pace. Uh, see, that was such a great play. I just, I was so, I was like, wow. I couldn't even believe that he made that play. Like when I was watching it live, I was like, what the heck? They're going to score. It's over, you know? And then I see Dylan Larkin just like sprawl across the ice and it goes across the net. I'm like, holy mother. Like you, you just don't expect something like that. That's a, that's a pretty uh, veteran captain like move where you, you dove to make a play and he did, he did. And that's, I think that's going to be a game changing type season time alter and play. Well, it's made it very obvious that, as far as Dylan Larkin is concerned, and this is what he's going to tell his guys and his teammates is he's going to say, Hey, look, there is nothing that's off the table here this season. We are pulling out all the stops. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody says. We are setting the tone and we're not going to let anyone define us. We are going to define ourselves. That's the statement that Dylan Larkin made with that play, whether he realized it or not, that's the, the impact it's going to have. And you know what? There was one time where there was someone who, um, you know, didn't think he was a captain uh, like uh, player. And, um, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but um, <laughs> um, there's a couple people I want to ma- name, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. There's a lot of people in those. Oh, but, how but good of you. Those let, are, let us, there's a let lot us of people. Hold on to some dignity, Joe. There's, there's a lot of people in those Red Wing groups that thought the same thing. And my first thing was, like, I can't wait to show this play to those people and, and tell and then have them tell me he's not a captain or, or something like that. But one of those people is Cindy and Cindy, I will let you have the floor because I think you need to do a Mia culpa. <laughs> well, okay. So, and as I alluded to a little earlier, we started talking about this. I am first off more than happy to be proven wrong. But the thing of it is, is that, Steve Eiserman saw something in Dylan Larkin that wasn't apparent 
to perhaps, again, the casual observer or people who don't have access to seeing Dylan Larkin the way he does. Now, myself, uh, my concerns came from, you know, just his frustration. And I just saw that he didn't seem to be really handling some of those leadership type roles very well. Or he seemed to be struggling with them. And I just wasn't sure that he could change that and turn that around. But he has. And I don't know what's happened. You know, they talk about there's a turning point, right? With Steve Eiserman. It was he wasn't captain what you would call captain material either. I mean, nobody looked at Steve Eiserman and said, Oh yeah, he's you know got captain material written all over him. No, not in the beginning. That's certainly what he became, but that's how he started out. And it took Scotty Bowman to threaten to trade him uh, in order to kind of get him to kind of wake up and become the leader he could be. And so I don't know if maybe some issue like that happened with Dylan Larkin. I know there was a season there a couple seasons ago where you saw it really turn around. Maybe Steve did something like that. Either way, I'm glad to see it. I'm glad that uh, I was, uh, that I didn't see it. And I'm glad that Steve is in charge of the Detroit Red Wings and not me. (laughs) You're right. Right. So, but there's no doubt that Dylan Larkin has matured an awful lot over the past three years that I've been observing him. And you have to remember too, I don't just watch him on TV and I don't just go to games and watch him play live. I spend a lot of time with these guys in other in other environments. Okay. I see them in when they're playing in other hockey environments or I see them in social environments or whatever. In fact, you know, I, they, you, you can tell when they see me, they can, they kind of all look at each other like, there's that chick again. Who the hell is this woman and what is she doing here? Oh, she's everywhere. And um, so they see me, I see him in a lot of different environments. And as I've ob- been observing them over the years, when I observed Dylan Larkin, I just saw some things that concerned me, but I'm glad that he has found his way. He has found his niche and I think he's only going to get better. And that's good news for their wings. See, I thought Dylan Larkin would, would I always thought he would be able pretty good captain i thought it was that next step that he had to take if he was going to be a stanley cup champion captain and i think that's why steve eisenman kind of waited for a couple you know a couple of those times and he was like i'm going to take my time and see what this guy actually does you know moving forward and he did that and dylan larkin showed exactly why he was meant to be a captain of the detroit rubbings well I'm not saying I know this for sure, but I would be willing to bet my communion money that um, you don't go don't to church, Cindy. I don't have that money anymore. I'm lying, but no, I, I would be willing to bet that Dylan Larkin, uh, that there was a come to Jesus moment with Dylan Larkin with someone he respects greatly. Well, I, I think and, I, th- I think anytime you are like a player or you're uh, you know a guy who's you know successful or a woman that's successful, you always look yourself in the mirror and go how do I, how do I get better, you know? You do. I mean you you really you should. Um but I can tell you that I've had those moments. I know a lot of other people who've had those moments and I'd be willing to bet my bottom dollar that Dylan Larkin had one of those moments. Someone pulled him aside and and there was a come to Jesus moment and had a real honest conversation with him and and had him, he was probably put in a position where he was going to make a decision about who he was going to be and what path he was going to take going forward. And he stopped negotiating the price. Um, you know, you get to a point where, you know, as, in, as a leader, you, you, you try to negotiate the price for success. And uh, you get frustrated because maybe you aren't being given what you think you need or you're not being given opportunity or whatever the case might be. And you have to come to that moment and you say, I'm going to stop negotiating the price and I'm just going to do whatever it takes. And I'm telling you, that is what you saw when you saw Dylan Larkin make that play the other day. And the leader he's become and the leader he's going to continue to be was encapsulated for everybody on national TV to see when he made that play and stopping that puck. That's it. Totally agree. And that, go, that goes into our next, you know, segment that I want to get to, because I think we both have an idea who our three stars of the week are. Um, so I'm going to let you go first and you go on with your three, three stars of the week, Cindy. 
My three stars of the week are going to be, well, one is Dylan Larkin. I think it's a no-brainer, not just because of that play, but because of just the supportive play he's given. That's why he's got uh, – he's leading in points right now. That's why he's been – he's been outstanding, really. I don't see how Dylan Larkin could have done his job any better. He had one – you know, he gave away a couple pucks. I'm not going to hold that against him. I, I don't think Dylan Larkin could have done his job any better than what he's done it this week. So that's why he's one of my players of the week. It showed on the board, but I think it's even going to pay more dividends down the road in terms of, of capital he's gained inside the locker room and everything else. So uh, he's my first star of the week. My second star of the week is David Perron. David Perron has brought the veteran presence. I think I read one article where the headline was, uh, David Perron, you know, basically appears as advertised, right? They said he was going to be able to do all of these things, and he has shown that's exactly what he's bringing. So David Perron has delivered on the promises made, and um, I hope to continue to see that from him. So that's why he's so important. He's my second star of the game or of the week. And then my third one is going to have to really um, is Billy Huso because he's another guy not only, I mean, the shutout, fantastic. He just played so well against Montreal. But I think Billy Huso has provided, again, a, a level of confidence now that we have a netminder who we can count on. And um, I don't think he could have done his job any better than what he did this week and contributed greatly to the success uh, in these three games, even though he didn't play in them. Uh, but uh He's my third uh, star of the week. Yeah, see, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with one of the I'm gonna go with two of the people you said. Um, Dylan Larkin is obviously my first star. Four points. Uh, the thing about uh, Dylan Larkin is, you know, he, he's he's been on he's he's been a he's had three even strength assists. Um, you know, his shooting percentage is pretty pretty damn good. But the one thing I look about look at Larkin and I I'm kind of I'm I, I love the way that he's doing. On the um, face-off dot, he's fifty um, percent on the face-off dot. He's one thirty-three. He's lost thirty-two. I mean, that's a good percentage to be at. You obviously want it higher, but listen, it's gonna get there. It's gonna get there. Fifty percent is a really good number this early in the season. So I really like that, especially the way that he's played. But if you know the one thing you said, David Perron at your second star, I'm gonna go with him as well as my second star. I think David Perron has brought something that everyone thought he would bring but i didn't think i don't think we thought he would bring three goals and three games and one assist i i just don't think people thought about that um because <laughs> let's yeah be, right let's be honest that's a it's a pretty good pace to be at and david prime you know for they haven't scored a you know they haven't got power play goals yet um but the one person that did get the power play goal was david perron so David Perron is obviously paying dividends early, and I think that the way that he played in the last game, that was that he was playing out of his mind. The way he shot the puck, you know, he was he was using screens, and he was he, they were just labeled for the the top of the net. And I, I just thought David Perron played a really really good game. So I, I agree with you on a second point. The third star is someone that I don't think people really took enough notice of, but I think they should. Olimata. He had one goal. Which was yeah. an empty, which was an empty net goal, three points, um, I mean three assists. So he had four points total. He's a plus three in the in the in the plus minus. And if you look at his hits, he's had he's had seven block shots. He's had two hits, but like it, it, this is exactly what we were talking about, Cindy. When we were talking about defensive hockey and someone. You know, taking that next step. Obviously, Ben Sharai has played pretty good, but I've been surprised by Olimata the way he's played. I mean, they have four points in three games is pretty dang good, and it's from a guy that we didn't even expect to, to contribute offensively. Well, and that's isn't it amazing? One of the funnest things about watching these first three games is all the unexpected surprises, and I think Olimata is one of those. Oh yeah, for sure, he has to be one of those because he's these he's. he's Four points, three games. He's he's third in the points list. He's tied for first with Larkin, Perron, and Sunquist, which Sunquist is another surprise in in my opinion. But um, you just gotta you gotta be excited about the way he's Mata's played so far. Oh no doubt, no doubt. And and uh, I don't think Sunquist expected 
to have the opportunity to shine the way he has, but I'm pleased to see it. Oh, yeah, and it, Sunquist has played pretty well. I mean, he had a game-time goal against the Kings. That was pretty That was pretty fun to watch. But him and Sunquist, Rasmussen, and Soderblom on that one line, that's a fun line to watch. And I know you love that line. I love that than, line. <laughs> I know you love that line, but I, they're just such a mismatch advantage. And you had a take on that. Go Tell people what you, you, you had a take about. So – my take on that line is the what I was thinking is, you know, we talk a lot about culture, how important that is, uh, the approach that this team is going to take, the identity, how important identity and culture are. And I thought, who would have thought and who would have ever predicted? Because I don't think we predicted it. I don't think anybody in the sports media predicted it. Um, I don't think anyone expected the third line, your depth guys, to be the first ones out of the gate to really uh, build around the identity of this team, to, to bring the identity of who the Red Wings want to be based on what Derek Lalonde has said. He said, you know, they want to be aggressive. They want to be in your face. They want to be physical. Well, these guys, who would have thought that this would be the line that would set up the identity for the Red Wings? I mean, usually it's your top line. It's maybe a a star player, a marquee player, a top pairing, something like that. No, who would have thought it's your third line in depth? And these guys have done it. And I'll tell you what my take is on this. Because that's who they're talking about. They're not talking about the top line. They're talking about this third line. What are they going to be called, right? Everybody's coming up with different names for them. Um, you know, they're already trying to identify with this group as a group. And what does this mean? They're physical. Everybody's talking about their physical presence. The fact that they're so tall. I mean, we did a, a post on on uh, Detroit Lion, excuse me, Detroit Red Wings News powered by IQ. We talked about this line is combined 19 feet, four inches, 664 pounds of man meat out there. I mean, that is a lot. That is a mountain. That is, you're coming up against a wall when you're coming up against any one of these guys. And some people say, well, that doesn't mean they're tough. Well, I'll tell you what, you run into a tree, it's going to hurt. Okay. <laughs> it, it, it is an intimidation. It is a, it is the psychology of the game. Some of these people just frustrate the hell out of me, Joe, because they don't see it. They think the game is just what you're seeing on the ice. There's a whole lot more to the game than that. And what these guys do is not only are they all pretty damn solid hockey players, but they bring a physical presence presence that plays into the psychological aspects of the game. And they are setting forth an identity with people trying to name them. You know, Ken Daniels called them the Redwood line. You got I love the Redwood the line. Detroit skyline. Redwood line. line. The let's, Viking let's, line. Let's make it clear. The Redwood line came from Ken Cal. That was. Or that's Ken a, Cal. Is that yeah, that's, was? A, that's a great, that's a great uh, name for that line because. See, you brought up something I want to hit on that real quick before I lose my, my train of thought because you were talking about how people, just because they're tall doesn't mean they're tough and, and, and just because they're tall doesn't mean this, and blah, blah, blah. Here's what it does mean, okay? There are people nationally that are talking about this this line, how big they are, how talented they are, and they don't look out of place. You know, Soderbaum for 6'8 does not look out of place. Rasmussen doesn't look out of place. Sunquist leads the team in points right now. They're not out of place. Like, these are guys that can contribute offensively. Like, if you look at Rasmussen, he's got three points. Sonquist has got four points. Um, Soderblom has one point. Um, and you think he's going to get – he'll probably get more. Um, but, it, listen, this is a, a line that people have to take account for. I mean, if you're if you're going against this big line, the one thing that they have most that most other teams don't, it's called reach. You know, if you're if you played hockey before, reach is huge, especially when you're going for the puck. You know, if a guy has a bigger reach than you, he could probably get to the puck quicker than you, obviously, because he, can, you know, he can reach his arm out and he's he's got more reach. And and it, it's the same thing for people that are going up the ice and and sticking along with the puck. They gotta account for that guy has a big time reach, and you you're gonna have to like pretty much move two car garage away to get away from him. Right. Right, exactly, exactly. There is something to be said for physical size. And I don't think, Joe, it's by accident. I don't think this line was put together, oh, just by sheer happenstance. I think this was a line that they tested out in training camp. I think they already had the notion that we want to put a large 
a physically large line of guys out there. I think they already had that in mind. Now they just had to see if they could work together and if they had chemistry. And when they did, I think they launched it. I mean, I, I think this was by design. And if it wasn't, it was a very, very happy, lucky circumstance for them. Yeah, here's the thing. They got 10 players that are over 6'2", okay? So that's pretty much a huge, you know, it, there there's only a couple, there's only two players that are below six foot, okay? It's Lucas Raymond and Pew Suter. But, like, you look at this, the, the top, the, the biggest players on this team, obviously Soderbaum, Rasmussen, Sider, Chirot, Huso, Sunquist, Robert Haig, Kubelik, Lindstrom, Olimata, they're all 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", and 6'8". Like, these are huge human beings. And the one thing that you can see with Stevie Y is they all have some size to them, especially, like, there's, you know, I think it's uh, – there's ten, there's 11 players over 200 pounds. So that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, well, exactly. And I think that this was – if you look at how Steve was drafting and if you look at kind of how they were making moves – in terms of their acquisitions, you can see this is part of the Iser plan. Yep. You know, all these people, all these people who are going on and on about, well, they're that this or that that. They're the same people that were saying, oh, trust the Iser plan. Well, gang, let me tell you, you're looking at the Iser plan. This is part of the Iser plan. And it's yeah. brilliant. It's a, it's a big team. Like, they, they, they're, you know, back in the day, they used to say, let's get bigger and bigger and bruisier on the blue line. And it's like you're doing that right now, but you're you're not compensating size for speed or skill. You know, Ben Sherratt. You know, everyone we we heard the people you know out in the off season who were like, he's not that talented an offensive player. He's not this, not that. And he's played pretty well with the size that he's played with. But Olimata, same thing, six two two ten. He's a big he's a big guy too. You want your defensemen to be big guys. You know what I'm saying? You you just want them to be big guys, and they're and, and they got they got four defensemen that are over two hundred pounds, so that tells you everything you need to know about what's and th- those were all the guys that Stevie Y has acquired. They're bigger on the blue line, and they have the same skill set. I mean, that's just the reality. And why is that? I mean, there's reasons for this. And I just, I, I'm just getting, I'm losing my patience kind of with people who are just trying to make all these uh, assumptions or they're trying to, you know, say, well, this guy didn't play well here. And well, you know, we shouldn't have, you know, we're going to overpay for this guy there. Or, well, what good does this guy do over here? Wait a minute. Just because someone in a different organization, in a different structure, with a different function, didn't perform doesn't mean you can take that guy, put him in a different environment, and you've got a totally different player here. So long as you've got the raw talent to work with, and nobody can argue. And if they will, I'll argue with them all day long. Yeah. Ben Sherratt has talent. Okay. Yep. So don't give me this, you know, this crap about, you know, well, he wasn't this or he's that. Because I'm hearing the same stuff you're hearing, and I'm quite frankly sick of hearing it because these people are so short sighted, they're not seeing what Steve Eiserman sees. There's a reason and a method to his madness and it's not madness at all. Well, here's the thing, Cindy, because here's people are hearing that um, Ben Sherratt is not good analytically, um, which I, I don't care about analytics at that point because just look on the ice. I mean, there's things that players do that might not be good analytically that might be great on the ice. Like, I don't care about analytics when it comes to like, what does your eyes see and what does the analytics tell you? And then you make a conclusion on both. You don't make a conclusion strictly on analytics. We've talked about this before, but people keep falling in this trap where they're like, oh, analytics say Ben Sherratt's not a good guy. Ben Sherratt shows on the ice that he is a really good, formidable guy on the defensive pair with Cider. So stop it. Well, you know, and I want to kind of say to some of these people, well, you know what, based on what you post on my site and on, on my posts, I think you're an idiot. But you know what? You must do something well because somehow or another you manage to function in society. So give me a break. If we were to look at everybody just based on what's on paper, then we'd be missing a whole lot of what else is there. You know what I mean? No, you're totally right. But here's the thing. People people will listen to like um, 
articles that say that Ben Sherratt's not a you know a decent player. He was overpaid. This is what people do, and and a lot of these people that make up these these um these stupid opinions that Sherratt's not good or Olimata's not good, uh, and they don't add uh, you know they don't add something to the team. They're just looking at it from a, a broad. They're looking at it from a pinpoint view when you got to look at it from a broad point of view. And they just don't do that, you know. But I mean, it takes it takes a special kind of person to uh, to, to to try to make some of these some say some of these things these people do. I I don't even know what to say. I'm trying to be polite about it, but um, you know, I I you you, I am you, a- you really can't be polite about this, Cindy, because <laughs> these people are idiots. Like we th- these people. I mean, I've seen people that were like, Larkin is not Captain Material a couple weeks ago, and now people want to say he is Captain Material. I was like, what happened to your opinion like two weeks ago? When we were talking about, you know, Larkin getting paid, what he might might get paid. Uh, like, screw off, dude. Like, you, you can't even make a good opinion without sounding stupid. And that's just the reality of people. I mean, you look at it's like, don't make me talk about Lions fans, but... Like it's all across the board oh, over there. Oh God. Yeah, that's a scary that's a scary proposition there to start talking lions. Let's not let's not ruin what the Red Wings have started by talking about the Lions. That's a whole nother story. <sighs> that's a whole uh, nother, that's a whole nother story and that's yeah. right. But let's, let's, sure. let's talk about what's gonna go on the week ahead. So yeah. Friday they play the Chicago Blackhawks. And mm-hmm. that, that'll be a game away from the, the LCA. And that's a game that the Detroit Red Wings should definitely win. Um, I oh, would... they should because Chicago's the Chicago organization is a freaking dumpster fire right now. They really are. They're, I would, they're just a mess. I would be really disappointed. I'm Cindy when I when we look at the schedule, like I would be really disappointed if they lose a game. Well, you know the expectations are so high now. I mean, it really the. I mean, it's not what even we've expe- seen it's, so far. It's yeah. not even. It's not even really expectations. It's just like they play Chicago. Okay, like Chicago. You know. If you say what you want about Chicago, but like, yeah, they might be good. They're just they're just not a good team, and and yeah, they have Patrick Kane, they have Jonathan Taze, but they are really weak. And then they come home Sunday and they play the Anaheim Ducks. Then they play the New Jersey Devils before our next podcast on Wednesday. Um, so I mean, I think they should win all three of those games because if you're asking me, one is against a team that is pretty bad. And their scoring leader is a guy who I've never even heard of, Sam Lafferty, um, who's bald. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a thing with bald people, anyway. Let's face uh, it. Well, well, for his career, I mean, he's only scored like freaking. He's the, the highest goals he's ever scored in a season was f- like six, and he's got two in three games. So, like, uh, I don't, I don't even know. But when you have two games at home, Cindy. You're expected to win those games, right? Like I just, I just don't, I just don't see why they can't win those next two games. I mean, the next three games. I would expect them to as well, um, but more. Here's my take on it. Yes, if you look at the matchups, they really should. Okay, but more so than that, I think the importance of them winning these next three games, next four games is again the psychological aspect of this because what you don't want playing in anybody's head is oh they were obviously those three were flukes the first three games were flukes you know if they were really worth their salt they should have been able to win a couple of these games you don't want that to start playing like thinking they're not the real deal you don't want people doubting themselves you don't want the fans starting to or anybody else put doubt in their minds because then you've got confidence problems. And that is sometimes far more difficult to deal with those psychological aspects than it is fixing just a regular technical aspect of the game. Yeah. And, and, it, and, it, and it, it will be crucial because you play Chicago, you play the Anaheim Ducks, you play two teams that are rebuilding. You play a team that's trying to overcome their rebuild in New Jersey. And then after next week's podcast on Wednesday, because we always do the podcast on Wednesday, Thursday, you have a huge freaking game with the Boston Bruins, who are three yeah. and one. Yeah, and, and that is a game that if you win three straight and you go into Boston, confidence is running high, and yep. you have a, and you you have a shot to do some some damage right there. 
Oh, and I'll be honest with you, really, the Boston game is the only one I care about. But I recognize exactly what you're saying is is that because if you let's, you let's, can't let's, have a lack of confidence going into that game. Yeah, because let's let's look at this no um this uh, October schedule, Cindy. You go to Chicago and our and Anaheim, New Jersey, almost in Ann Arbor, uh, right. <laughs> Boston. See them play in the big house. That'll be a new new thing. That well, they played there before <laughs> and they lost. Um, yeah. You play Boston on Thursday, which that'll be a great game. But then you play Minnesota and Buffalo. Minnesota is winless on the season so far. Um, Buffalo, you're gonna play them away from the LCA. You're gonna go to Buffalo and you're gonna play them. Then you play Washington, New York Islanders. That's a two week kind of schedule and. Then you, then when you know after those games you start you start to really face some pretty tough teams. You play the Rangers twice. You play New Nashville in the month of uh, you play Nashville, Toronto, the Kings on the road. Like you got to go on a road trip to the West. So this month you have to make some big hay. Well, I'll tell you since you made a point of it, I, I will say this: the Red Wings historically have been known to be weak when they go to the West Coast. Yep. This West Coast, uh, first West Coast tour is going to say a lot and really be a defining moment for the Detroit Red Wings because um, if they can get over that, they're going to prove to anybody who's looking that they are a different team. Yeah, if they they go to the West Coast and they win – they win two of those games, which they should win because Anaheim's not a good team and San Jose's not a good team. That will tell me a lot, but if they won all three, like who? But it's a four-game road trip, and they put, they come home, they come to play the Columbus Blue Jackets on their way back to Detroit um, before Thanksgiving. So it would be it would tell you a lot if if the uh, Detroit Red Wings won those three games on the West Coast and they come uh, to play Columbus and they win that game coming into Thanksgiving. There's a lot of indicator, what I call them indicators, indicator games coming up. Boston is one of them. That'll be a, could be a defining moment. That West Coast uh, stint that they have to take will be a yep. defining moment. Uh, that'll tell us an awful lot about what to expect uh, rolling into this kind of as we come up on the first half of the season. Um, there's a lot of things to look for and indications to see how far the Detroit Red Wings will go and how deep into the season. But I'll tell you what, I think they, at this point, what I've seen, they need to plan for a long season. These guys aren't going to be going home and enjoying themselves in the month of May. I think they're going to be playing hockey. I think that, I think that's, a, I think they could definitely happen. Um, the one thing I, I worry about is let's hope that they stay healthy <laughs> because Tyler Bertuzzi being hurt, they don't, they can't afford any more injuries, especially to their top line. And you know who needs to really snap out of things is Lucas Raymond. He has not played well to start the year. So hopefully he'll start catching on right now. Well, you know, we talked about the possibility of a sophomore slump. And, um, you know, that's that's not uncommon. We were afraid we might see it with Mo Sider. I think both of us agreed we didn't think we were going to see it with Mo Sider. I and mean, you haven't, you know, yeah, you haven't seen that with Mo Sider. But with Lucas Raymond right now, it looks like that's something he's struggling with. But I don't think that's terribly unexpected. I mean, that's why they that's why it's a term, right? Because they know to expect that. Yeah. Uh, and so so long as they can write that ship, and I think they will, uh, I think he's gonna be fine. And if he comes alive in the second half of the season, hey, fantastic. So long as he comes alive at some point, but they do need him being on that top line. He's gotta at least he doesn't have to be stellar or outstanding. And I think he's got also, he probably has too much pressure on himself. Right. Um, I think once, once they get him to kind of relax a little bit um, and not put so much pressure on these things, uh, he'll be fine, but he's going to have to at least pull his weight because as you pointed out, Derek Lalonde is not afraid to make changes and he'll make a change to his top line if he needs to. Yeah. And I I think that Derek Lalonde is not going to sit there and let him, um, his confidence keep breaking. I think what Lalone will do is he'll put him on a line where he knows he, he can succeed uh, because he's not getting, you know, the first line looks. Yeah, I think he'll make whatever adjustments he needs to make. And he's going to be particularly keyed in with, with some of his top guys. I mean, there's no doubt, regardless of, of what Lucas Raymond's particular performance has been in this first part of the season, it's only been three games. So let's give the guy a break. But um, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that he is 
meant to be a foundational piece of this organization for years to come. They're they're looking to build him into that. Oh, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good like agreement with um like yeah, the line needs to be better for sure. And I believe it will be. I believe it will be. They've just got to settle in. They got to settle down and just wait for everything. You know, just give it give it a minute. Uh, maybe you're like you said, this break might be good. We'll see if we see a different uh, Lucas Raymond coming out on Friday. Yep, my dog's making an appearance on the podcast, so that's cool. Hey, that's okay because one of the best uh, podcasts we ever had, remember my dog, was featured very prominently. <sighs> yeah, well, she's, try- <laughs> she's she's trying to eat, so she's all she's all excited about that. Well, who wouldn't be? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I'm a foodie at heart. I get it. it it's, no it's, worries. It's funny though because I get excited for that, like Red Wings hockey. So that's that's cool. Well, yeah. How how could you not get excited for Red Wings hockey this year? You see nothing but encouraging signs, and I think we're going to see more, only more of that. Um, let me ask you this, Joe. You're talking about staying healthy and how important it is that we uh, we do that, and I agree a hundred percent. Who's a guy, if you can pick one player, who you do, we just said, because of the depth that they've built, we don't believe there's any real catastrophic loss with Bertuzzi. Um, is there a guy who you think we could lose if we lost him to any kind of significant injury for any length of time that could derail the bright, uh, what looks to be, anyway, a bright path ahead for the Detroit Red Wings? Who could derail that if we lost him? Larkin or, or Cider. I think those are the only two that you could say. Like, yeah, if, those, if you lose those guys, you are in a world of hurt. Okay, I I would I would agree with Dylan Larkin. I think Dylan Larkin is actually absolutely pivotal. Um, he's established himself uh, as such, and I think that he's kind of one of those foundational pieces. I think the other one that you probably cannot afford to lose. Um, you're going to go with Mo Sider. I'm going to say Ben Sherratt actually, because I think he's holding down that blue line right now. Yeah, I think Cider and Sherratt, I think I think losing either of them would be brutal because then you're asking, you know, Mata to come up to the first line and replace Sherratt or Cider or Hironic move him to the first line to replace Sherratt or Cider. And it's just that's not just not a good winning combination because then, you know, your third your third line pair is gonna become your one of them is gonna become your second line guy. And I mean you'd have to pretty much call up Simon Evanson, I would think. But yeah, losing Dylan Larkin would be the absolute worst. Yeah. Yep. That would that would probably really shake the foundation of what they've got built so far. And that would certainly be one of the biggest challenges that Derek Lalone could possibly face would be a loss of, of the captain. So yeah, much any, as we, uh, any anytime you lose a captain like that, that that's a huge, huge loss. So let me ask you this then. This begs the question, Joe. If you lose the captain, who do you see who could come in and fill that role need be? Who would be your next up? Andrew Cop. Okay. Because he's been a captain before. You know, he's mm-hmm. been he's been a captain at University of Michigan. He's been a captain. Um and he, he's played a good he's played a good role in this team. Him and David Perron, those are two guys I would I would look towards. Cause you know, obviously they're not, you know, they're Perron's an older guy, but he know he's been around the league a lot. Uh Andrew Cop, he's been around the league for a while now. I mean, those guys are the guys that you expect to, but you know who I would expect to step into that leadership role if Larkin went out in terms of play and leadership. And I think it would be about time would be more exciter. I think that's an awful lot to expect from such a young guy. Um, You know, they're talking about who's going to get the A. They've got floating A's going on right now. Um, And they're talking about, well, who's going to get it? You know, who are they going to give it to? Uh, I I really think it's going to end up being cop. I really do. I think he's going to probably be the solid, uh, a to Dylan Larkin. The two of them have a very good chemistry. They have a history, as you pointed out, of being at the University of Michigan together. And and Andrew Kopp has done this before. So I, I think I would be surprised if that A ends up permanently on anybody but Andrew Kopp. I agree with that. I think that the second A is going to go to Perron easily. I think he showed a leadership role with Detroit so far where you really can't you re- you really can't tell the impact of David Perron because, you know, do you think he's just a goal scorer or whatever? But I really think that he's had a really guiding influence. I mean, him and 
Um, Larkin were doing the pre the post game interviews, and you could just tell those were two leaders on that stage. So David Perron is another guy who, if you're gonna give two A's out, you're gonna give one to Cop, you're gonna give one to Perron, and that's that's what's gonna be this year. I think that eventually Cider will go into that role, but I think that Cider, I think, I think this year he's gonna he's gonna really step into a leadership role, even though he's not a, he's not a captain yet. I think they're definitely gonna prep him for it. I think. Um that they see the potential for in Mo Sider. And uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Mo Sider. So I mean for me I'm gonna be all on I'm gonna be all over that. But um but yeah you've got that veteran presence for a reason and I'll tell you it is not lost on David Perron why he's there. He knows exactly why he's there. He knows the role he's meant to fill. And I believe that he will step up if asked to do whatever it is they need him to do. And uh, he's just a solid, solid guy. And I agree with you. You saw a couple of captains uh, sitting up there and I think he's got the capability to do that. Um, and he will do it if he's asked to. So yeah, I think, I think that what you said about cop and Perron, it's, that's totally true. I think that, um, you know, I think having those guys as your assistant captains, of Dillon, I think that's really going to send a message to the team. Like these are your guys that are leaders and it's going to mean more because, you know, Larkin is obviously the captain, but to have a guy like David Perron, who's won a Stanley Cup, who's been on rosters that won the, went to the playoffs and made some impacts, he's a guy that you'd look to. Andrew Kopp is a guy who plays two ways. He's going to be a little guy you look at. I mean, your leaders should be guys that inspire play the way you play instead of, you know, because it's it's fine and dandy to have a captain or an assistant captain that, that that's, that's a, you know, a stat sheet guy. But it's another thing to have guys that do both. And I think that's what CVY has done correctly. He got the David Perron. He got uh, he got Cop. And he, you know, he's developed Larkin into the leader. He is to this, to, you know, with the – he, he kind of made him grow into a leadership role with the way that, you know, he said, I'm not going to give you the C right now, but you're going to earn it. And that's what he did. Yeah, I mean, talk about the talk about patience, boy. I'll tell you, Steve Eiserman has the patience of a saint. I, I I don't even know. I don't think a lot of us could be as patient as Steve has been. But um, you know, well, I, th- I think I think see, I, I think what Stevie has done is shown patience, obviously, but patience is 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 what wins you games in professional sports. Because you have to be patient because not not everything is going to happen on your time. You know, I, I, obviously people that are fans, they want to see guy, they want to see wins early. You know, they want to see wins. They want to see playoffs, all that stuff. It's one of the things that we're seeing with all these Detroit teams, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's an epidemic pretty much of these, these four teams. Like the Lions are a young team and they're, they're, they're not ready to take that next step. I mean, they might take the next step. You know, but they have to have. There's things that they have to get better at, in terms of their, the way that they play, because they're young. They're young guys. Same thing with the Pistons, who start their home opener tonight. They have young players, and you really don't know how they're gonna really translate. Like Stevie, why he what he did with the Red Wings is he, you know, he he had a young team for two three years, and he's like, now it's time to add some veteran leadership that can actually make an impact, and we can actually lure them here. And that's, I think that's what all these other teams are trying to do because they need to do the same thing that CBY did is practice patience. And then when you get the ch- chance and you show promise, these veteran leaders are going to say, yeah, I want to go there because they have some building blocks that we can build around. Well, and I think, you know, David, per- or was it uh, David Perron? Or was Co- I think it was Cop. It was Andrew Cop who even said, you know, yeah, he wanted to come back to his hometown team for sure. You know, great opportunity but he wanted to be a part of something, you know, yeah. wanted to be a part of something that he could believe in. And that is the key right there. Belief, you know, they play, don't stop believing, you know, when they come out and that's kind of their thing. Yeah. They, they do not want these guys to stop believing for one minute that they are a part of something special and that they got something that's going on here that goes far and above anything that you're going to see on the score sheet or anything you're going to see on a contract. They're, they're doing something here that is potentially going to be really uh, earth-shaking here for the city of Detroit and throughout the National Hockey League because it's something that people didn't believe could be done, and I think they're actually going to overperform to expectations. And Steve won't say that, but 
you can kind of get you, you see when he's very pleased with what he sees when when Steve always says like I'm cautiously optimistic it means he's optimistic I mean you just have, you just have to read in the words because I think people go oh he means he's cautiously optimistic he doesn't mean he's there this team he doesn't expect this team to win, you know win games and everything Stevie always takes this this pragmatic approach where he's like yeah you know I expect them to be better but um you know he, he always goes through a ton of different things in his head that you know can happen and he kind of tempers expectations so the fan base doesn't like get the wrong idea you know right it's like he'll let you know when it's time to celebrate he'll let you know you know pl- i mean plan, i mean it's, it's like the, the parade it's, you know what i mean that's when steve will say they made it <laughs> it's, it's like the nick saban um motto like nick saban will win a game and he'll be like we, were, we just weren't good enough today we weren't good enough today like we weren't we aren't good at all he's like we got things to do and it's like that's what the great that's what the great coaches do. That's what the great players do. And Stevie Y is as a player, he's doing the same thing as a general manager. He's not satisfied, even even if they do win big time. Well, because he knows where they need to go, and he knows what they need, and, and he just he got he plays a guy who plays the psychology of the game, and he's doing it very well, and uh, he'll continue to do it. So we'll see what. What else he's got in store for us uh, as the season rolls forward, right? So we will see how the next week develops. Obviously, we hope that they win the next three because they should. But next Wednesday, we'll have the podcast again. You know, every week we do the podcast on Wednesday, and we'll release it Wednesday night. Um, so, Cindy, this has been a great podcast. Obviously, next week we're going to have a big game to talk about with the Boston Bruins. Depends on how the Rebbings play these next three games. But what are you expecting in the next three games? Same thing I'm expecting? Uh, yeah, well, I am definitely expecting them to come away with two out of three, for sure. Um, I, I look at it like, yeah, anything can go wrong with somebody. You know, even if you're playing a crappy team, you know, you, you have something go, go off or go wrong. Um, I think there's a little bit of retooling they're going to have to do with planning around the Bertuzzi, Bertuzzi injury. So I think they're going to have to, you know, uh, make a couple of adjustments there. Uh, I'm expecting them to take two out of three. And I'll tell you what, I am really expecting the top line, even without Bertuzzi, as it's been retooled, I expect that the top line, you're going to see some more production out of them even than you've seen so far. Yeah, I, I expect that. Um, I expect the guys like Verona, who he's not he's not on the, he's not playing right now due to personal reasons, but I expect him to heat up. I expect Raymond to heat up. I expect a lot of players to heat up. I mean, I don't think that, you know, Sunquist is going to be your leading point getter all year long, but – It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next week, Cindy. Absolutely. I can't wait. So we will see you guys next week as we do another podcast of Red Alert. And as always, you can go to Detroit Ravens News and we will keep you updated throughout the season. And YouTube, Between the Whistles Detroit, you can find us at Apple, Spotify, and we're going to be on a new couple platforms coming soon. But we'll tell you that next week because that's when I think we'll really know those, those platforms. So we'll tell you next week and see you guys next week on another episode of red alert. See you then. See you guys.